We want to sing that song that we've been singing all month long one more time. And uh, we'll sing it one more time. And so if you'd like to take it home with you after this, that's fine. Some of you may want to burn it after this time. That's fine. But the song we've been singing in the month of June is one of the weirdest hymns, I think, if you read it all the way through, that you'll find. John Newton, who wrote Amazing Grace, also wrote this song. And he's praying that God would work in him to grow him and, and bless him and help him to be more like Jesus. But God did that in a way that John Newton perhaps would not have chosen, obviously, and in a way that you and I would not choose for ourselves. God worked in some hard ways. But by doing that, he had it where John Newton totally depended upon the Lord. And that's where God's trying to get us. To totally depend upon him. And so you look at this and, and John Newton got so low in this thing. He talked about being, you know, I aggravate my woe and, and, and worm and all sorts of things. But in the end, he talks about God, you were doing this so that I would depend totally upon you. So I want to sing it one more time with you as a congregation. And uh, we'll sing through. We're going to sing all seven verses this morning. And uh, we'll sing it this last time. Would you stand? Everybody have a copy there at the end of the row? Let's stand together and sing I Ask the Lord. Can we?
us to understand.
me. This is the message that he's been telling us over and over and over and over and over again here in recent days. Um, Try as we might, we cannot escape the message, the message of God's love. And I want you to know today that God loves you whether you love him or not. Uh, God loves you whether you know him or not. If you are here and you do not know God, Listen, he loved you so much that he gave his son to die in your place. The Bible says, for God so loved the world. And you can put your name right there. For God so loved you that he gave his only begotten son. That if you would believe in him, you would not perish, but that you would have eternal life. So I say to you today, I encourage you today, exhort you today, I plead with you today. If you do not know the Lord... To place your faith in Him today. To turn from your sin. And trust Him. Now Christian, I know that you know that God loves you. But do you realize that His love is not fickle? His love for you is not based upon how how well you're doing in the Christian life. It's not based upon how well you did this past week in reading your Bible and praying. Or how well you're doing with your behavior. He loves you with an unconditional, undying, unending love. God loves you. And we need to grasp this. Mark Guy Pierce used to tell the time when he overheard uh, one of his children admonishing the other with these words. You must be good or father won't love you. Now imagine you're a parent. You hear one child telling another child that message. You better be good or father won't love you. Well, he called the boy to himself and said, son, that isn't really true. That's not true. And the boy said, but you won't love us if we're bad, will you? And Mark Guy Pierce looked at his child and said, yes, I will love you whether you're good or bad. But there will be a difference in my love. When you are good, I will love you with a love that makes me glad. And when you are not good... I will love you with a love that hurts me. And beloved, that's the way God loves us. He loves us regardless of what's going on. God is love. Everything he does, he does out of a heart of love. And not only that, he does because God is love. It's a part of his nature. It's a part of his essence. And beloved, our ability to love, love God, love each other, love other people. Our ability to love 
we're going to find in today's scripture passage is rooted in God's love for us. You see, John here in his first epistle that we're studying through right now is continuing today with this idea of love. Now, I don't want you to misunderstand. It's not because he has nothing else to talk about. It's not because he's run out of stuff he could say to those reading the letter and to those of us here today. It's because there's so much to say about God's love. And so he's saying to us again, God loves us. And we're going to see how that love impacts us. Now, you in your adult Sunday school classes, you were in 1 John some this morning. And it was about the idea of forgiveness and and love. Well, look at chapter 4. We're going to finish up chapter 4 today. And we'll pick up our reading at verse 12. Chapter 4, verse 12 of 1 John. If you have trouble finding it, go to the last book of the Bible, Revelation, and back up just a little bit. And you'll find 1 John chapter 4, and I'll begin reading at verse 12. And we're going to finish up chapter 4 here today. 1 John chapter 4, verse 12. The Bible says, no one has seen God at any time. If we love one another, God abides in us, and His love has been perfected in us. By this we know that we abide in Him, and He in us, because He has given us of His Spirit. And we have seen and testified that the Father has sent the Son as the Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in Him, and He in God. And we have known and believed the love that God has for us. God is love. And he who abides in love abides in God and God in him. Love has been perfected among us in this, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment. Because as he is, so are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear because fear involves torment. But he who fears has not been made perfect in love. We love him because he first loved us. If someone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen, how can he love God whom he has not seen? And this commandment we have from him, that he who loves God must love his brother also. Now, one of the reasons that John, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, wrote this little book of 1 John is so that we might have assurance of our salvation. That we might know that we're born again. In fact, he says it very plainly in chapter 5, verse 13. These things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life, that you may continue to believe in the name of the Son of God. And we see that idea of assurance here in the passage we just read. In verse 13, we read these words. By this we know that we abide in Him, that is, abide in God, and He in us, because He has given, uh, given us of His Spirit. What we find here are some things that assure us that we belong to God, that He abides in us and we abide in Him. We find some things that are going to be true about us if we abide in Him and He abides in us. But before we get into them, I want to point out to you that all that we're about to study... All that we're about to say, all these truths we're about to cover, they come about only because of God's love for us. That's the only reason they're true. 
John gives us his witness as an apostle in verse 14. And we've seen and testified that the Father has sent the Son as the Savior of the world. And the only reason these things are true, we're going to talk about today, is because of that fact. And they would not be true if it were not true that Jesus came to be the Savior of the world. If Jesus had not come, lived a sinless, perfect life, died, was buried, rose again, victorious, then what is said here would be null and void. It would not be true. But beloved, it is true. It's true. And whoever trusts in him has eternal life. Did you see that in verses 15 and 16? If you're wondering, whoever confesses that Jesus is the son of God, God abides in him and he in God. And we have known and believed the love that God has for us. God is love, and he who abides in love abides in God and God in him. So when we truly know God, when we know that Jesus Christ is our Savior, we're truly born again, there are some things that come about in our lives, three in particular we find in this passage I want to unpack with you today. As a result of God's love, we have assurance, we have confidence, and we have love. We have assurance, confidence, and love. Now let's unpack those things for a little bit today. First of all, we have assurance. We have assurance. One of the reasons he wrote the letter is that we might have assurance. We might know that we're born again. I cannot emphasize how important it is that you have an assurance that you're in a right standing with God. You see, without that assurance, beloved, you're not really going to enjoy the Christian life like you ought to. You're not really going to have the joy of the Lord. You're going to miss out on so much if you're not sure about this matter. Be clear about this. God wants you to know Beyond the shadow of a doubt, God wants you to have a certainty that you belong to him. He wants you to have assurance that your sin is forgiven. Your home is heaven. Christ is your savior. He wants you to know that. So somebody might say to you as you're witnessing to them, well, how, how can you really know? Nobody can really know. God doesn't, you know, we just hope when we get there that we've done enough good. We've done this. But God says, listen, I want you to know. John said here, these things I've written that you may know that you have eternal life. And verse 13 says, by this we know that we abide in him and he in us because he's given us of his spirit. Now, the question is, what's the by this here? By this we know. Is it pointing back to verse 12? Or is it pointing toward what he's about to say in verse 13? By this we know. Well, I think it's pointing in both ways. Verse 12 talks about the truth there, about what? God abiding in us and his love being perfected in us. And verse 13 talks about what? Uh, verse 13 talks about the fact that he's given us of his spirit. Say, well, preacher, how can that be that this by this, by this we know, that points back to verse 12 and verse 13? Isn't it either or? How can it be that God's love abides in us, has been perfected in us, and the Holy Spirit uh, dwells in us? How is that possible? Is it the spirits indwelling us? Is it God abiding in us? Is it love being perfected in us? How do we know? By this we know. Well, it points both ways. I believe why. Well, look at what it says in verse 12. It says in verse 12, no one has seen God at any time. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love has been perfected in us. By this we know. Let me ask you a question. How does God abide in us? By his Holy Spirit. How is love perfected in us? By the Holy Spirit. Does this sound familiar? Galatians 5, 22 and 23. But the fruit of the Spirit is love. And then, of course, verse 13 talks about the Spirit of God. We have His Spirit. 
So really all that's being talked about here is the ministry of the Spirit in our life, right? He abides in us by His Holy Spirit. He brings about love in our lives through the fruit of the Holy Spirit. And He indwells us. Every believer has the Holy Spirit indwelling them. In fact, the Bible says if you do not have the Holy Spirit, you are not born again. Romans chapter 8 verse 9. But you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. Now, if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he is not his. And so if you don't have the Holy Spirit indwelling you, you are not born again. You're not a child of God. But if you are a child of God, when you place your faith in Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit of God takes up residence in your heart and life, and it's a proof. That we belong to him. Listen to what it says in Romans 8, 14 through 17. For as many as are led by the spirit of God, these are the sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The spirit himself, not itself. The spirit is not some kind of weird mystical thing. The spirit of God is a person. Part of the Trinity, part of the Godhead, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs of Christ. If indeed we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified together. Second Corinthians 1, 21 through 22. Now he who establishes us with you in Christ and has anointed us is God, whom also has sealed us and given us the spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. And so the Holy Spirit indwelling us is a proof that we belong to the Lord Jesus Christ. We belong to God the Father. Now here's the question though. How do we know the Spirit indwells us? I mean, the Bible says that the Spirit indwells us. We trust the Lord Jesus Christ. And it says it bears witness with our spirit. But how do we go about seeing that in our life? Well, Barton and Osborne help us. They said if a believer inquired, how can I know that God is at work in my life? John would answer by the presence and power of the Holy Spirit. And here are some questions to ask yourself to evaluate whether or not the Holy Spirit indwells you. Let's start at the beginning. First of all, ask yourself this question. Have I ever been convicted of sin by the Spirit of God? Have you ever been convicted of sin by the Spirit of God? John 16, verse 8 talks about the Spirit's going to convict and convince the world of sin, death, and judgment. And before a person is ever born again, the Holy Spirit works in that person's life. And they're convicted of their sin. They're shown that they're a sinner. They're undone. They're lost. And, and that, I like to describe conviction, for lack of describing it another way, that, that burden, that, that pressure that, that, that's upon you as you know that you've done wrong. And you're convicted by it. You're bothered by it. You, you, can't, you can't shake it. You're convicted by it. And the Holy Spirit brings us to a point of conversion. We place our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. We turn from our sin. Then, of course, as believers, we know that the Holy Spirit will also convict us of sin, won't He? He didn't let us sin. He, he, he shows us right away. This is wrong. Here's how to get right. First John 1 John 1.9, confess our sin. He's faithless. We studied that this morning in Sunday school. And so... If we're indwelt by the Holy Spirit, what's going to be true in our life? Well, let me ask you some other questions then. You can ask yourself. First of all, you can ask them uh, yourself this question. Am I being taught by the Spirit of God? John 16, 12 through, 12 through 15. The Holy Spirit is a teacher. And He teaches us and He leads us into truth. And He opens the Word to us. And He teaches us. How about this? You can ask yourself, do I sense the leading of the Holy Spirit? Do you sense the Holy Spirit leading in your life? Giving you direction? 
And by the way, the Holy Spirit always guides according to His Word. He always guides in accordance with His Word, never against His Word. How about this? Do you see any evidence of the fruit of the Spirit in your life? The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. Do you see any of that in your life? The Holy Spirit is working and bringing that about in your life. That you cannot describe on your own. It's not something you worked up. But God is working in you and through you. How about this? Do you see signs of power in your life as you witness to other people? Acts chapter 1 verse 8. The Holy Spirit will, you know, goes before us and, and works through us and uses us to, sh- to share the gospel. You see, when we are totally yielded to God and filled with His Holy Spirit, He can work through us in marvelous ways. We're to be yielded to the Holy Spirit. And so we know that we have assurance. Why? Because of His Spirit who indwells us. And every believer has the Holy Spirit in them. Not just a piece of the Holy Spirit, not just a part. You have the Holy Spirit. The question is, how much of you does the Holy Spirit have as you yield? You say, what does it mean to be filled with the Holy Spirit? Does that mean that you're some kind of weird person? You have some kind of mystical aura about you that, you know, you float around and and there's stuff floating around you. People see you. There's a green mist about you. No, that's the case. You need to go take a shower, get cleaned up. The Holy Spirit is about controlling your life as you yield to Him, as you obey Him, as you're in the Word and you see it. And the Holy Spirit leads you and guides you. How about this, Christian? You ever been around somebody and God, the Holy Spirit says to you, speak a word to that person about Jesus Christ. You have a choice to make, don't you? You can obey and speak for Christ. Or you can rationalize. That's what we call it, right? I'm going to rationalize. Or really, we can disobey. Just two choices. And I'll, I'll say it. I've been guilty. Ever been guilty? God said to you, speak to that person about Christ. And, well, I don't know if I better speak to that person. I, I, don't, know if I, I don't have time. I don't have to, and you rationalize. And the time is gone. You've disobeyed. God help us. God forgive us. But in today's application, it shows that God, the Holy Spirit, indwells us, right? As he speaks to us and leads us and guides us in our lives. We have assurance God's love is sin in God's spirit at work in our lives. And he brings about an assurance in our lives that we truly are born again. So because of God's love for us, first of all, we have an assurance. God's spirit and dwells. Second of all, we have confidence. We have confidence. We have a love that's been perfected in us. And it brings about a boldness and a confidence in us. Look at what it says in verse 17 and 18. Love has been perfected among us in this. Now that word perfection has the idea of being brought to the goal, being matured, being completed, brought to where it should be. It doesn't mean you're sinlessly perfect in your love. Okay? It's been matured. It's brought to the goal. It's doing what God intends for it to do in your life. Love has been perfected among us in this, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment. Because as He is, so are we in this world. There is no fear in love. But perfect love casts out fear because fear involves torment. But he who fears has not been made perfect in love. Now listen, a man or woman who does not know the Lord Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, they ought to be filled with fear. They ought to be filled with apprehension and fear and dread and torment. Talks about love, brings, uh, fear brings about torment. Especially when considers they do not know the Lord Jesus Christ. And they're going to spend the eternity in a horrible place called hell. Imagine, beloved, standing before a holy God dressed only in your filthy, unrighteous rags. 
That should strike terror and fear in any person's heart, in their right mind. To stand before a holy, righteous God and be clothed in nothing but your own filthy, rotten, unrighteous rags. That should strike fear and dread. Imagine living every day not knowing if it's going to be your last one and you're going to lift up your eyes and wake up in a horrible place called hell. Walking day after day under the soon coming wrath of God. Walking in condemnation. Walking in darkness. Walking in hopelessness. Walking without Christ in your life. That's torment. That's fear. That's dread. And it ought to be. By the way, all of us here were there. We were there at least some part of our life. Because we've all had to come to the place in our life, right? We placed our own faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. I remember as a young boy, the dread and fear, knowing that I did not know Jesus Christ, knowing that if I died, I'd go to hell. I knew it! Fear. Torment. But as a believer, I don't live there any longer. As a child of God, you don't live there any longer. We have a boldness, it says here, in the day of judgment. We we have confidence, not fear. Why? Because it says, because as he is, so are we in the world. The he there, I believe, is the Lord Jesus. What he's saying is, listen, we now have Christ's righteousness. We are in Christ. His righteousness has been credited to our account. Our sin is covered by His precious blood. We're no longer under condemnation. We pass from death to life. All of our sin, past, present, and future, is forgiven because of our faith in the finished work of the Lord Jesus Christ. And while we still sin from time to time, and we, uh, we mess up our fellowship with God. We talked about that in Sunday school this morning. Nothing and no one can take away our relationship with Him. We are judicially declared righteous forever and ever. We can stand with confidence and boldness in the day of judgment. Why? Because we are the sons and daughters of God, heirs of God and joint heirs of the Lord Jesus Christ. And while we will stand at the judgment seat of Christ as believers... And we'll be judged concerning our works and rewards and so forth. We will never stand in judgment concerning heaven and hell. We will never stand for that decision. Why? Because that was settled forever at the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. The moment that we repented of our sin and placed our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, we were prepared and ready for the day of judgment. Why? Because we have a boldness and a confidence. Because we are now in Christ. And He is in us. We have a boldness. Now listen, this boldness here is not a brashness. It's not an arrogance. It's a confidence that rests in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so when God looks upon me, he doesn't see me in my unrighteousness, my sin. He sees I am complete and I have the righteousness of Christ credited to my account. I am in Christ and Christ is in me. And we have confidence. Now, I don't know about you, but I am so thankful for that. I don't have to worry about standing for God and him saying, go to hell. That's been settled. Why? Because I knelt at the foot of the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. Do you have that confidence today? One commentator likened it to the boldness that we have if we were to attend a session of court. Maybe you like going down to the courthouse. 
Maybe you like watching court on TV, but let's let's pretend you go down to the courthouse and you're going to just go watch the proceedings of the day. And there's a trial going to go on that day. And there you are seated in the audience of the court that day. And you watch as the defendant is brought in in shackles. And then you stand as the judge walks in and the judge is seated and you're seated and you begin to watch the proceedings take place. You watch the lawyers as they deliberate. You watch all that's going on in that courtroom, but you do so with a confidence and with a boldness. Why? Because you're on the side of justice. You see, you're not on trial that day. You're in the audience observing. You're not sitting in the place of the defendant. You're not sitting in the place of that one who's about to be judged. You sit with a confidence and a boldness. Why? Because you know that you, at the end of that day, are going to stand up and walk out of that courthouse as a free person. Why? Because you're on the side of justice. That's a picture of what we have in Christ. We're on the side of justice. You see, the Lord Jesus Christ took our penalty upon himself. He bore our sin. And now we can have a boldness and a confidence because we are in Christ. So God's love for us brings about an assurance. It brings about a confidence, but also we find that we have a love because of God's love for us. Now, listen, we don't love because we're so great a person, so great a people. We just say, oh, we're just we're just lovers. No. I want you to see what the Bible says. So look at verse 19. We love him because he first loved us. The only reason we can love is because God loves us. God is love. We've already talked about it. It's more than just the fact that he does love. It's more than just an action. It's part of his nature, his character. He is love. Just as we learned this morning, he is light. But then he says in verse 20, if someone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen, how can he love God whom he has not seen? And this commandment we have from him, that he who loves God must love his brother also. It's good to go back and add verse 12 to the discussion. Look at what verse 12 says. No one has seen God at any time. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love has been perfected in us. Now, twice it speaks about the fact that nobody's seen God. While there have been some who have seen, I don't know how to say this properly, but I'm just going to say some of God. We think of Moses, you know, Moses said, I want to see you, God. And God says, I'll hide you in the cleft of the rock and you just see the back part. We think about Isaiah and Isaiah saw the Lord high and lifted up and and the smoke filled the temple and all. And and we think about uh, others, of course, those who saw the Lord Jesus Christ, they saw God in the flesh. But no one has seen. Listen, no one has seen God in all of his glory, in all of his essence, in, in all of his majesty. In fact, God said to Moses in Exodus thirty three twenty, but he said, you cannot see my face for no man shall see me and live. I mean, if we saw God in all of his glory, we would literally die. I wonder if we would just be incinerated. I don't know. Just just over what we would just die to see God. It's nobody seen God. Now, Jesus is God, and, and when you saw Jesus, you saw God, but, but we know that he was perfect God, perfect man, and, 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 and he's there, and he walked upon the earth, but, but even today, we don't have him walking here bodily, do we? I mean, I'm not expecting the Lord Jesus Christ, he's here, praise the Lord, but not in a bodily form, he, he's going to make intercession, he's going to prepare a place for us. No one's seen God, but then he says in verse 12, 
if we love one another, God abides in us and his love has been perfected in us. In other words, if the world is going to see God, they're going to have to see him in us. Now, I just want you to know that that's just an overwhelming thought. At least it is to me. It can be a discouraging thought. So, in other words, if the world's going to see God, they're going to see him in us. And the chief characteristic we need to display is what? God's love. He says there in verse 12, no one has seen God at any time. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love has been perfected in us. John MacArthur said it this, this way, the unseen God thus reveals himself to the visible love of believers. The love that originated in God and was manifested in son is demonstrated in his people. And so I look at that and I say, well, what about when we're not unlo- when we're not lovely? I mean, if, if, if our love for one another as brothers and sisters in Christ is supposed to show the world God's love, what does that mean? Then we're fussing and fighting and critical and, and, and tearing each other down. Boy, that really shows the love of God, doesn't it? That, that really just blesses the world, doesn't it? To see that kind of love. I mean, think about it. Some churches say, oh, come experience the love of God with us. They look at our church or some church say, if that's God's love, I don't want to experience it. Do we love each other like this? It says here, basically, a love for God equals a love for our brother, a love for one another. And by the way, can I mention to you again, beloved, that this love is not just a feeling. It's not just emotions. It's not all just warm and fuzzies. Oh, I love everybody. No, it's active. It's agape. It's selfless. It's sacrificial. It's an active love. Old D.L. Moody said this, every Bible should be bound in shoe leather. I like that. That's where we're supposed to live. You ever heard this first? John 13, 34, new commandment I give to you that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one. How did Jesus love us with a sacrificial love, with a selfless love, the love that went to the cross? You see, one of the ways that we show our love to God and for God is by loving others. Loving them with a selfless, sacrificial love, not mere sentimentalism or sappiness or anything, a real, living, active love. And beloved, we can only do it because his love flows through us. We're supposed to be a conduit, a channel, if you will, where God's love flows through us to other people. We're to love one another. And that's real easy to say amen to. <laughs> and that's real easy to say, hey, praise the Lord. You're right. The Bible's clear. The preacher is loud and clear this morning. Love one another. But what about real life? What about, what about this afternoon? What about tomorrow? Are we going to love? I think this kind of love is displayed in the quiet little boy, shy little boy named Chad. One day Chad came home and told his mother he'd like to make everyone in this class a Valentine's Day card. And when his mom heard this, her heart sank. In fact, she thought, I wish he wouldn't do that. I wish he wouldn't do that. See, she had watched the children when they walked home from school, and her chad was always behind them. They laughed and hung on to one another and, and talked, but chad was never included. He was always in the back, bringing up the rear. Nevertheless, Chad said he wanted to make these Valentine's Day cards for his class. And so mother went along with it and she went and she purchased the paper and the glue and the crayons. And for three weeks, night after night, Chad painstakingly created 35 Valentines for his classmates. 
on Valentine's Day, Chad, with great excitement, carefully packed up his Valentine's and he headed out the the door for school. Well, mom was there and she decided it'd be a good day to make his favorite cookies and be prepared for him when he got home because she was pretty sure he was going to be disappointed when he got home. In fact, she was pretty sure he may not get many Valentine's Day cards, if any, if even one. That afternoon, she looked out the window and she saw, sure enough, Chad was bringing up the rear of the group of children. But he was walking a little bit faster than normal, than usual. She really expected him to burst to the door, and as he burst to the door, to burst into tears. You see, Chad's arms were empty, no Valentine's Day cards. And as he came in, she managed, you can imagine, Mom, your heart, she managed to choke back the tears. And she says, Honey, I have some warm cookies and milk for you. But Chad hardly heard the words as he just went on by, marched right on by. His face was glowing and all he could say, he just kept saying, Not a one. Not a one. His mom's heart sank, as you can imagine, to hear a little boy say, Not a one. But then he added these words. I didn't forget a one, not a single one. Beloved, that's love. That's love. Selfless. Sacrificial. Others. Giving to others. That's love. That's a picture of love. And we cannot say that we love God. And yet hate our brother. We cannot say we love God and and not love our brother. Why? Because a love for God equals a love for our brother. And beloved, the Bible is clear. We love him only because he first loved us. May his love flow through our lives in an awesome way to bring glory to God and many into his kingdom. Father, we thank you today for your love. We thank you because of your love. We can stand here today with assurance. A confidence. And a love. These are not natural. These are not of our own making. Father, they're only because of your working in our life. Father, may we be a large conduit of your love. May your love flow from this congregation into this community, into this county, into our world. With a heart like little Chad's heart there, where it's not about us. It's about others. A selfless, sacrificial love. The kind of love Jesus has. The kind of love Jesus showed for us. Father, I pray if someone's here and they've never experienced God's love for themselves personally, that you bring them today to the foot of the cross and allow your love to be poured out upon them as the blood of the Lord Jesus washes them from their sin, makes them an heir of God and joint heir with Jesus Christ, gives them a confidence, a boldness, an assurance, a love that they've never known and never had. Father, would you help us and grow us in your love? Lord, we're sometimes very fearful to pray like that because we think about that song we've been singing that John Newton wrote. Sometimes you have to take us through very hard places to get us where you want us to be. But Lord, we can trust you. 
And so I pray that you would help us to learn to love like you love. Now, Father, bless this invitation, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Our closing hymn is a little chorus. I think it's most appropriate for today. 146. Oh, how he loves you and me. And if you've never received the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior, I'll be down here at the front of the church. If you'll just come and let me know you'd like to meet Jesus, we'll simply take a Bible and share Christ with you. If you want to come today and pray, maybe God has touched your heart about something. The altar is open. We would invite you to come and pray as well. As we stand and sing that little chorus, 146. Oh, how he loves you and me. Let's stand and sing. You come as God leads you. Oh.